Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're going to talk about not just applying to college, going to college, but graduating from college and what it takes and what it takes to do that in America. And we're here, lucky to have an alum of the school and the current Undersecretary of Education, Martha Cantor. Welcome to the Harvard EdCast. Well, thank you for having me. Good to be back at the Ed School. Great to be back. Martha, let's jump right into this. 2009, you get this charge from President Obama, and he says, I want the best educated workforce and the most competitive students in the world. And he says, Martha, I want you to do this. What are you thinking? What goes through your head, and how do you even begin that charge? Well, you have to think about uh, historically where we've had our focus in American higher education and in post-secondary education in general, which includes adult education, career technical education, and all of the training programs in addition to what many highly educated people think of as um, just as higher education. So when you sort of step back and you look at the fact that, for example, Tennessee has two-year Tennessee Technology Training Centers, and they have flagship two- and four-year community colleges and universities. And then you go over to California, and you have um, a a world-class community college system and a Research One set of University of Californias, and then you have the state universities, and you have a whole different model. You have to sort of step back and say, this country has tremendous diversity in its higher education offerings across the country. And you have to craft a policy agenda that, in our view, really had sort of three central tenets. One, we needed to build off the focus on access and opportunity for all, which is a historic value you know, since the Morrill Act and can go through all of that maybe at another time. Uh, but in addition to access and opportunity, you have to think about the quality of our institutions and the many different sectors of post-secondary education and how do you really identify and push students and families toward institutions that are offering good value. And then you have to think about the fact that half of all undergraduates aren't completing college in six years. These are first-time, full-time students, but if you add the part-time students in and you add the transfer students in, you get 10% more. So, you know, when, when I talk to Gates Foundation and other, other thought leaders in the country, you know, by the time you're 30, if you haven't gotten an advanced degree, your income's going to suffer and you're going to be struggling with your family probably for decades to come. So we have this urgency to have an agenda that really has three parts. On the one hand, access and affordability, getting students in. On the second, high quality institutions, that's what our country needs. And last, and and really it's been a huge focus of the administration, getting students through. What is the main reason for why students will drop out of college? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, We have uh, an ombudsman in the federal student aid program. And she has a a very tough job because she talks with students who are or have defaulted on their federal student loans or are about to. 
and they try to do a lot of work to preserve opportunity for students no matter what their economic circumstances. And she was saying to me a few weeks ago that, you know, it's interesting, many people and researchers will say students leave because of economic reasons or social mobility, they get a job somewhere else or they lose a job or they've got a family crisis or health care and they're going to have to move. Uh, but she said, you know, the more she talks to the students who use the ombudsperson uh, as a liaison, the more she's finding that it just was too hard. And so I think that's an interesting line of research to pursue. You know, is higher education really what students thought they were going to be exposed to when they entered? Is it too hard? Is it the fact that, you know, over the last 30, 40 years, the preparation of students have, has suffered, that students aren't ready? And Arnie Duncan, my boss, Secretary Duncan, will say, students need to be college and career ready. And 46 of the 50 states and the territories have signed on to raise academic standards 10 to 20 percent. So we're looking at higher standards, better throughput from K-12, but we have 93 million adults who are low-skilled in today's country. And that's really a challenge for us. We have not educated those people adequately. It seems like financial aid access and need access is in the news a lot lately in terms of federal grants. And I know since you started in 2009, there's been a lot of changes in the federal grants and how many people are getting them. Why don't you share a little bit about some of those successes? Yeah, that's probably, I think, one of the pinnacle points that we're so proud of. And before and you go, would you slow jam this for us? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Um, uh, when we started, there were 6 million students who were eligible for Pell Grants. These are students from the lower, sector, lower income sectors of the nation's undergraduates. And today, there are 9.8 million students out of our approximate 22 million undergraduates who receive a Pell Grant who would not otherwise be able to afford college without the support that the federal investment has provided. So it has been really a hallmark of both administrations for decades. And what President Obama wanted to do was open the door even wider for more students to come into the Pell Grant program. So we simplified the federal student aid application. That may sound like a no-brainer. But frankly, to cut out almost half of the questions, to reduce the time to complete, it used to take more than an hour, it takes about 20 minutes now, um, to work with the IRS in the first year and a half, and I have to give kudos to the Internal Revenue Service and the Social Security Administration. Maybe the first time it's ever gotten kudos. Because the Department of Education formed trust and a partnership with them so that Americans could actually push a button and use skip logic and port in their prior year taxes so they wouldn't have to go ask their parents or find the form or redo information or using information the government has. And that's sort of been one of my hallmarks is, you know, uh, Einstein said uh, things should be made as simple as possible but not simpler. And so simplification of the entire federal aid student program has been really a, a goal that we really want to continue. 
um, that's, that's just going to be essential for more students to participate in American higher education. So you're here at the Harvard Ed School today to talk about sort of evaluating President Obama's 2020 college graduation goals. Um, you've been on the project for two, three years now. I mean, how is that going? How are you measuring success? And then are you in line by 2020 to be, to be ready to come back on the show and say, we're the best, we're number one? Well, you know, and it's not that other countries can't also be number one but we were number one a generation ago. So, you know, in my first six months, uh, I talked with uh, Dr. Rouse, who's a professor at Princeton. She was on the Council of Economic Advisors, working with Larry Summers, again, who's a, a former president here, and others, uh, very smart people, to say, if we were to craft a 2020 goal as an aspiration for this country, what would it take? So we sort of settled on the fact that we needed to have at least 5,000 more graduates from the community college sector. That sector has 1,300 two-year institutions across the country. Um, they educate a large portion of undergraduates. 47% of undergraduates attend a community college. They have tremendous challenges. Students come in and they don't finish. We need to get more students finishing in that sector. And then if you look at all of American higher education, as I said, uh, if you look at another 5,000 students, if we did nothing, from where we are today, we have 42% of Americans that have baccalaureate degrees. We want to go up to 60%. If you round it off, if we did nothing, we'd have 2,000 more graduates with baccalaureate degrees by 2020 if we did nothing. We think we can add 8,000 more. We think we can add 5,000 from community colleges and another 3,000 from the four-year colleges and universities because they can be more productive. They can build capacity. We have had this influx of students coming in, and we think we can make progress. And we're doing lots of things. I mean, the agenda, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit, talks about shared responsibility. States need to do more. Students themselves need to do more. They have to do things that are hard. College is hard, and they need to get themselves prepared. So four-year institutions need to partner with two-year schools and high schools to get students who are underprepared ready to go. That's what it's all about when you look at Race to the Top for K-12. Can states make more progress with higher standards, better assessments, and more personalized learning opportunities for students? We have got to get rid of the dropout crisis that is facing us at all levels of education. So when you look at that, you know, we're going to be tracking going forward and we've got a college scorecard, we're demonstrating graduation rates, we want to look at the performance of institutions with Pell eligible students, are they graduating at higher rates or at the same rate as all students? We need to look at it demographically, by gender, by ethnic group, by income, and really get a throughput. now. The good news is that many, many organizations across the country have responded. Complete College America, the College Board, the American College Testing Service, the American Council on Education, uh, the independent colleges and universities, NICU. Um, if you look at all the associations, they are talking about what will it take to get more students moving through. What we want to do at the federal level is provide incentives carrots and sticks, we want to reward institutions that are really doing a good job and that are really tackling ways to constrain costs, states that are reaching out. New York State recently passed a five-year tuition uh, plan. So they passed a maintenance of effort that funding for American higher education in New York State will not go below the 11-12 year and they will increase tuition no more than $300 a year for the next five years. That is 
bold. That is visionary. You know, Governor Cuomo, kudos to him, kudos to the Congress there, to the legislature for thinking through something that has a longer term, a longer tail. Um, that's where we have to go in this country, to have a long-term vision of what it's going to take to get our country's uh, citizens more highly educated. You talked a little bit about the importance of community colleges, and that's sort of your background, where you come from in many respects. Uh, talk about the experiences from your community from the com working community colleges and how that sort of helped you uh, further this vision and this mission across the board. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just found out that um, Foothill College and De Anza College were together, you know, top in the state in transferring students to four-year institutions, play a huge role in the workforce pipeline, preparing students with two-year degrees in information technology, biotech, the healthcare industry, uh, preparing students to go on to the universities, the state universities, especially as teachers. So the community colleges have this tremendous role because they sit in between high schools and four-year institutions. And we have to do a lot better in articulating the curriculum across the sectors, so a lot more vertical and horizontal alignment, both horizontally and vertically. And, and what I mean by that is students should know that when they take a freshman composition course or a calculus course or a statistics course in a state, that it should count for credit, it should have comparable quality in the public institutions at a minimum and the privates to the extent that the privates, which are more autonomous, um, want to participate. So many states now are saying, you know, we have got to streamline articulation and really understand what are the learning outcomes for these different levels of the curriculum. And, you know, college isn't a place where we need to be um, squishy about what students should take. Um, a core general education, if they're interested in workforce training, those courses should be laid out. Students are taking too long to graduate, and they're taking courses they don't need for their degree. Now, I'm not saying that students shouldn't use a year or two of an undergraduate education to experiment to really find their passion, but when you find students taking a whole year of courses they didn't need simply because they couldn't get those courses, they had to maintain full-time enrollment to get their federal aid, um, we're wasting capacity. So if we can shorten time to degree, really focus on remediation and streamline that, and fix the articulation barriers that have long plagued higher, plagued higher education, two-year and four-year institutions and high schools, we will be making great strides. Martha, usually at the end of this podcast, we like to ask a few fun questions to sort of get to know you piece the last minute. So the first one is uh, you and Secretary Duncan are uh, talking and debating about something in the Department of Ed, and you can't come to terms on an agreement. Uh, do you often solve problems out on the basketball court? Well, uh, you know, I tell Secretary Duncan that I see half of what he sees because I happen to be short. <laughs> <laughs> and But the good news is I can keep score. So I have an uncanny ability to keep a score. And, you know, Arnie, uh, when he was on the court, you know, the last time with the All-Stars, he did really, really well. If you haven't seen the YouTube, I suggest that you take a look at it because he's still shooting hoops. But again, you know, I could barely get on the court and bounce the ball three times. But we do, we do debate a tremendous amount because we really want to get the best thinking, not only our own thoughts, but we really encourage debate and discussion and people that disagree with our policy agenda because that's how we get better. And that's the one question Arnie will always ask. 
what can we do better to make things better for students in this country. Yeah, yeah, very impressive office, and uh, we had the pleasure of interviewing him a few months ago. Last question, Martha. Um, aside from yourself, your second favorite famous Martha, I'll give you a couple options, Martha Stewart, Martha Washington, the dean at the Harvard Law School, Martha Minow, or the Attorney General of Massachusetts, Martha Coakley. You're in quite the fellowship of uh, very high-achieving Marthas. Well, I think it would have to be Martha Minow, uh, just because I think, you know, academic pursuits are going to be what really propels our country forward. So kudos to her, and I might have been named after her. Who knows? And you also know she is an HGSC grad. Yes, I do. Martha Kanner, thank you so much for being on the EdCast today and for all the work you do. And we look forward to, we'll, we'll schedule another EdCast in 2020, okay? Thank you so much. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.